I'm very excited to talk to you this morning about what we have to talk about this morning from the book of Ephesians. Um, I'm getting myself more and more into the study of the book of Ephesians and remembering one more time why I love this letter. The theme of the book of Ephesians is the church. We don't always read it that way because we don't read anything that way. <laughs> we read everything as though it's about us. And this is really not about me or you or him or her, but about us. The, the magnificent us of the body of Christ. And in this text we're looking at this morning, the church is referred to with this name, the fullness of God. I mean, think of that. The body of Christ, the fullness of God. The church is a bigger deal than you think. You might already think it's a pretty big deal, but however big of it, however big you think it is, it's actually bigger than that. The body of Christ, the present representation of Christ. How is it that you are present this morning? How are you present? Well, you are an embodied person. And so you are present here. I, I'm looking at you. How am I looking at you? Because the sunlight, or maybe this artificial light, is bouncing off of you, your body, into my body. We are present together with each other because we are embodied. And when someone dies, they are absent. And then when they're raised again, they are again present. We will be together forever, not as some sort of ghosty thing, but as embodied persons that can shake hands, that can embrace, that can be present, that can look one another in the eye. You see, a body is essential. It is in the design of God in the human creation to be embodied persons and that God himself became one of those when the eternal Son was born in a body. And that body died to satisfy the penalty for our sin. And that body has already risen again. And so the man Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in a body. And yet, the church is his body. And what does that mean? That means we 
are the available presence of Christ in this world today. That's what that means. Well, today we're going to study the text that leads up to that statement that Christ has been given to the church as the head, to the, given to the church his body, the fullness of God. So I want to ask you a question. How's your vision? Now that question can mean more than one thing, can't it? I could be asking you about how's your eyesight? Have you ever had problems with your eyesight? It's challenging, isn't it? You know what's also challenging is using your eyesight in the dark. No matter how good your eyesight is, if it's really dark, you can't tell what's going on. In this text, however, is a prayer. The prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church. And it's, first of all, I suppose, for the Ephesian church, but more than any other letter in the New Testament, the letter to the Ephesians is meant, when it's written, to be circulated in the churches. It might be the original occasion in which we notice that the letters of the Apostles are for the church, not just that church. And when we say they're for the church, we mean the church then, everywhere, and the church everywhere, ever since then. So, including us. And so in this prayer that the apostle outlines, he is praying for you and me, the body of Christ today. He's praying for something that we need. Otherwise, why would he pray for it? So Paul prays for the church. And what he's talking about is vision. He's praying that the church would see. That the church would see certain things. So he's not talking about vision, spiritual vision, like we normally think of it. Like, you know, somebody like me should cast a vision for what we should do as a group. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about not goal setting, but so that you could see, really see, just how blessed and highly favored of the Lord you are. Which he's been talking about up until now, right? You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You cannot wrap your brain around that. Like everyone? All of them? Yeah. And this is given in the perfect tense. Like done and done. There is nothing you need that you don't already possess in Christ. If you don't have something, it's not good. 
because he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And in Peter we read he's given you all, everything that you need for life and godliness. Not some of it, not if you behave yourself, just on you. And so we come to this text at the end of this chapter where Paul has laid out these amazing blessings, all of which, by the way, are summed up in the expression, in Christ. You, in Christ, are magnificently blessed. And God is going about the business of summing up all things in Christ, and you've already been into Christed. I don't know if that's a good way of saying that. You've been united to Christ. And so he closes the chapter with this prayer. Why don't we just read it? It starts in verse 13. In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. For this reason, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Ay, 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 it's going to take an hour just to figure out what that meant. That, not really. Uh, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart being enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Now that word know is a variation of the word see. Like if somebody explains something to you and you go, I see. It's a word for grasping by seeing. It's a word for perceiving. And so we could have translated it with the word see. I give you, I pray that the, eye, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, that you will see what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. (laughs) And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things, gave him to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, let's look at what Paul is asking for on your behalf, on our behalf, on behalf of the body of Christ, including this body of Christ. That God would give something. What was it? It was a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, how to translate this exactly is tricky. But let's say spiritual wisdom and revelation. This is the wisdom and revelation that are the work of the Spirit of God in our spirit. Wisdom and revelation in something, in knowing him, in your fellowship with God. The word knowing here is a different word from that one we talked about earlier that meant see. This word is the word for knowing epinosis. It means by personal involvement, really getting to know something. Well, in this case, it's a person, him. So in knowing him, in in having a relationship in which you come to know Him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know, same word, you, the eternal God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So, where is the spiritual wisdom and revelation that we might receive in response to this? It is in Walking in active fellowship with God. That's a lot already. But this is for something. It's not just so that you'll be wise and... Wow, what's revelation? Revelation means to uncover something so that it can be seen. Oh, so this whole idea of vision is important in this whole text. This whole text is about vision. That you'll be wise, that you'll be smart enough to know that you should see because God is going to reveal to you certain things. And then he says it another way. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. All of those really kind of go together. A spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now that also is in the perfect tense. As in, because the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, you should be able to see certain things. 
Now, how were the eyes of your heart enlightened? You can read all about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You might want to write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Really, you could start reading at the end of chapter 3. And this text explains the enlightening of the eyes of your heart. And the way this happens is the Spirit of God, of Christ, really, in that text, the Spirit of Christ is given to you and heals you of a spiritual blindness, which you otherwise would have, and lets you see. Now, in that text, he lets you see something very particular. It's not just about you being able to see. It's about what you see. Really, who you see. And what you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So where is the light of the glory of God? In the face of Jesus Christ. Well, we know that because He is the image of the living God. No one has ever seen God except the Son of God has made Him visible. Philip asked Jesus, why don't you just show us the Father? And Jesus says, what do you think I've been doing, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen him. Where is the light of the glory of God? It is in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, <laughs> he says, that we would see. We would see. And then he says, list these three things that we would see. So he, he's praying that God would give us vision to see certain things. What are these three things? The first thing is the hope. The hope of His calling. The hope of His calling. The fact that you have been called by God in Christ through the ministry of the Spirit is the source of all hope. Because He has set His sights on you. Because He has called you. Because He has gotten His hands on you. You have every hope. In Romans chapter 8, we read about this. I'm just trying to decide where to begin. <laughs> this says 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Those who are called according to God's purpose. So when we are called to the family of God, there's a purpose. 
a thing in our future. Here it is. I can lose my place so fast. Those who are called according to His purpose for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. What is this purpose to which He has called you? To conform you to the image of His Son, which is His image. To become a part of the body of Christ. To become a member of His material representation in this world. And His calling is particularly centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. To see the hope of His calling. To see that the best thing that could possibly happen to you is that you would exhibit His character. You know, this is in 1 John chapter 3 when He says, we don't know what we're going to be just yet exactly, but we do know this. When we see Him, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is and everyone who has this hope the hope of his calling everyone who has this hope purifies himself even now your christ likeness is has its source in your clear vision of christ and this is the best possible thing that could happen is that the Lord would show up even right now. If the Lord showed up and inter interrupted this amazing sermon, that would be the best thing that ever happened to us because suddenly we would see the great desirability of Him. And we would instantly imitate Him. Not because we're somehow twisted into it or squeezed or forced, but because it is glorious. And we can't imagine making any other choice. And since we have this hope, it is available to us already. You know, through the glass darkly, I suppose. But not absent. So even now, when we are enabled in this enlightening ministry of the Spirit to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed by that experience to be like Him. That is the hope of His calling. Wow, better keep moving. The second thing He wants us to see is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. The riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. You ever read the book of Revelation and you read that text where all the saints are gathered around the throne singing? <laughs> Do you see it? You remember in Hebrews we read that 
He's been appointed the heir of all things. And in this chapter, we all read earlier that God is summing up all things in Christ. Everything reaches its conclusion in Christ. And He wants us to see the wealth, the absolute abundance of the glory of that. You think of it, every tongue and tribe and nation will be represented in the body of Christ around the throne of Christ. Billions of people, I guess. Singing, that singing this morning was really good, by the way. Thank you. But imagine that. Multiplied and sung in every conceivable language with absolute harmony. And, you know, it's not as though the singing is the main part. But it's going to be glorious. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory, majesty. I can't remember all those words. Honor. The riches of the glory of His inheritance. We are His inheritance. The saints. Those who have been called by God. Those who have been set apart to Him in Christ by the Spirit. Ah, oh, the riches. You know, this is mentioned later in the book of Ephesians in a section that we really think of as primarily about something else in chapter 5. This passage about husbands loving their wives. Husbands, this is verse 25 of chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, set her apart to Himself, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory. Now, when we look around in here, we might not get the glory I don't see anyone glowing. But I'm telling you, when we were standing and singing praise to our mighty God, there's some glory going on. And He is perfecting His bride and He will present us before Himself in glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such like thing. But that she would be holy, completely His, and blameless without any cause or dissatisfaction. Do you see the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? That is what the Apostle wants you to see and that is what he is praying for the ministry of the Spirit to open your eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But there's more. And he says, to see the surpassing greatness of His power. 
And this isn't just power as a possession. You see, it says, power toward us believers. Do you see the surpassing greatness of God's power? You are sitting here this morning a testimony to the power of God because you were lost, dead, but not anymore. He has made you alive together with Christ. This is We're really going to talk about this next week. But this is the power. Your, your salvation is a is an exhibit of the magnificent power of God. It is the most important exhibit. We might think, you know, when there's a hurricane or a giant wave or a, some other natural mighty thing, that that's some kind of great exhibit of the power of God. That is nothing compared to your salvation. That He has taken you is the greatest exhibit of His mighty power. His power toward us who believe. And so, since this is important, He goes on and on about this power. And that's what follows in this text. Now, about this power, get, listen to this sentence. It is according to the working of the strength of His might which He worked does he need a few more words to talk about power? Power which he worked. Power according to the working of his strength. The strength of his might. You get the idea? You see the surpassing greatness of this power? The idea of surpassing means it, it goes beyond the border. It, it breaks the barriers. It it is past the limit, the greatness of His power toward us. <sighs> now, this is the power that according to the working of the strength of His might that He worked in Christ. So, before we are the exhibit of this power, Christ is the exhibit of this power. When? This is what happened. This is the power that's toward us who believe the power that was worked in Christ when, number one, He raised Him from the dead. Okay, Jesus was dead. And He's not dead anymore. His human body was raised from the dead. That power. <laughs> that power is what Paul wants us to see. When he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So when God seated Christ at his right hand. So this is the power that, you know, the disciples were standing around that day with Jesus after the resurrection. So they'd, they were witnesses of the power of the resurrection. And they're standing around talking about, well, now is the kingdom now, Jesus? 
He says, well, it's none of your business, but, uh, you know, you stay here in Jerusalem. When the Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses, all that. And then, up into the air he goes. Into the clouds, disappears. Where did he go? To be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the power we're talking about here. The power that was at work in that ascension and in the coronation of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells us just how big a deal this is to be seated there. He says, far above, far above, you read about this in Philippians 2 where God has highly exalted him and given him the name above all names. Far above these things. All rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every named name. Far above all that. Far above all that. All rule. Rule is the word arche. It means a first place position. So if someone in this world thinks they're in first place, he's in the firstest first place. Far above any first place you can imagine. Any right to rule. Any governor or king. Far above that. Far above all authority. Authority is the right to command. Again, we have this like pile of words that all look like they mean the same thing over and over. All authority. Authority is the right to command. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So, you go. All above all power. This is the word dunamis. And this means the actual ability to do something. Power or strength. Uh, hey, could you push that rock over there? Power means, if you have the power, that means you could actually push that rock over there. The capacity to carry something out. And then dominion. This is the word kuristes, which means lordship. You know, this world is full of lords. You might have noticed. You probably have seven or eight lords yourself. People who, for one reason or another, have the right to boss you around. A lot of our lords, we don't even come into personal contact with us. They use laws and stuff. This is about sovereignty. So when we <laughs> sing King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we are talking about these things. Rule, authority, power, dominion. He is above them all. And the power that put Him above all those things is the power He is exercising toward us. Oh, and one more thing. He's far above every named name. <laughs> you know of some named names? I have a name. It doesn't get named that much. But there are 
people whose names get named. This is about fame. This is about renown. And Jesus' place in this world, I don't know, who's the most famous person you can think of? You know, John Lennon was famous for saying that he's more famous than Jesus. No, he isn't. Well, he's dead now. Jesus is not dead now. And Jesus is above every named name. I don't know if you know about fame, but the Jesus is the center of all fame. Seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. Oh, that's where all every spiritual blessing was given, wasn't it? In the heavenly places. Just thought I'd notice that. And he says he's seated there, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He's seated there for now, for good, and forever. He cannot be removed, supplanted, surpassed. And the power that puts him in that position, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is the power that Paul wants you to see that is toward us. That redeems us. Well, there's more though. He says, now about this power, it also subjected all things under his feet. That's in that psalm, what is man? You've subjected all things. How is Psalm 8 fulfilled in the human being Jesus Christ? Where all things have been subjected under his feet. And then the last thing here is he gave him to the church. That power that gave him to the church is the power toward us. How did he give him to the church? How is Christ given to us? Well, we could read about this in the Great Commission. Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples among all the nations, baptizing, teaching, and to do everything. And lo, I am with you always. How? I mean, he's not standing here in the flesh. How is he with us? How is he given to us? Well, I think we read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when the Spirit of God enlightened our eyes so that we could see the glory of, the, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Or we can read about it in Romans chapter 8. And already when I say Romans chapter 8, some of you know who Romans chapter 8 is really about. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but 
in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of uh, sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. How is Christ given to us? Jesus said, it's good if I go away because when I go away, then we will, me and the Father will send the Spirit. How is Christ given to the church today, right now, in this room? The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. That makes us alive. <laughs> you can read about this in Ephesians chapter 3 in the the second great prayer of this book where Paul prays for us. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Pray that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How does Christ dwell in our hearts through faith? By the supernatural presence of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ Himself. He did not leave us or forsake us. He is with us. He is in us. He has been given to the church so that the church today not just me and you, but us. The church today is His body, according to this text. The fullness of Him. You know, there's an exhortation. There's This idea of being filled is kind of important in the book of Ephesians. Where is the only commandment to be filled with the Spirit. How are we the fullness of God? He already said this in, earlier in chapter 1 when he said, In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We are the fullness of Him who fills. The body of Christ this is the vision Paul is praying that we would see these things to be true because they are true. He's not praying that they will become true. He's praying that God will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the uncovering of things, so that we will see the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, the magnificence of the body of Christ and the surpassing greatness of His power, the same power that worked in the resurrection and ascension and the enthronement of Jesus Christ, the same power that subjected all things to Jesus Christ, the same power that gives Christ to us in the person of the Spirit of God. <laughs> wow! And so Paul wants you to comprehend, to get it, to see 
These things, they are true and real, and they are obscured in the darkness in which we live, but pray with Paul, with me, that the Spirit of God would turn on the lights so that we can see the reality of our great, magnificent blessing. (laughs) In Christ, all the spiritual blessings, we have been blessed with them all in Him. We have won. And when you go into the world this week, I pray it is in the heart of worship, the heart that says, I am His. Hallelujah. (laughs) I am His. I belong to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the name above all names. You can't hurt me. Whatever you do, whatever happens, whoever disappoints you, whoever, whatever trouble comes along, still every spiritual blessing. And so when you confront those realities of this life, you're not the same person. You are not a person without help. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that made you alive in Him. So, if this is going to be a worship service, what happens is, we listen to the great good news of God's mercy and grace, and we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. And that's still happening on Thursday. Because you were here today. When we gather together in the love of Christ and we remember these things together and we celebrate and sing these things together with harmony and with uh, emotion, we are moved. And we say, yes, Lord, yes, Yes, Lord. How you love your difficult boss when he demands something unreasonable from you on Wednesday morning is a reflection of what has happened when you looked again into the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are a privileged group of people. I, I just can't say that as clearly as I want to. We are His. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to keep our vision to see, to see this glorious thing that You are working in Your people. Lord, help us to shine with the love of Christ in the world. Because we are so filled. 
because the Spirit of God has communicated the love of God that was demonstrated on the cross of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would see the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in His saints, the surpassing greatness of His power toward us believers. I pray in Jesus' name and by the Spirit. Amen.